0: Welcome to the Connect Church podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Welcome to those of you. This may be your first Sunday with us, or maybe you're, uh, you know, relatively newer to connect church maybe you're still trying to get a feel for your fit or your placement or who are we and what are we doing and and to be honest those are some of the questions that those of us who have been around here for a really long time are still asking Uh, because one of the things that i have learned as i age is that growing things change right? It's part of the DNA of growing things. And so uh, growing Christians are always asking the question of now what? What's next? What direction are we going? What needs to adapt? What needs to change? What needs to be transformed? There are certain things I know that if you read the scripture, you, you will read things and then you'll go back and you'll read them later and you'll learn things from the same passages that you've read before that you've never seen. Uh, and that's because you grow, and as you grow, your understanding grows, and your information grows, and your ability to obey begins to grow. And so, God's Word is very new to us. So, today I'm going to share a message with you that is by no means revolutionary. It's a very common passage of Scripture, but I'm hoping as we grow together, Maybe today we'll hear some things that we haven't heard before. And so, if you are relatively newer to our church, I want to let you know a little bit about who who we are as a church as we head into 2024. Uh, I will tell you that the world is continuing to change as well, and uh, there's a lot of things that have changed in ministry. You know, hard to believe. We've be, I've been here in this church uh, for. For 17 years, that's a long time, uh, and I still feel very new. Uh, so don't, don't, no, don't, don't think I'm calloused. I'm not. no do not do not think i am calloused i am not i am very sensitive. Uh, been in ministry for a really, really long time, and I can tell you, in those periods of years, I have seen changes that I never thought never thought would come to be. And not just within the church, but outside the church, the way the world thinks, the way the world processes. and, And we can't help but a generation or two later for that to become you know, kind of creep into the church. I don't mean that in a negative way always because there's lots of things for us to learn. But, but who are we and what do we do? And so I say all of that just to simply say this. There are many, many ways to be obedient to God, but ultimately what He called us to do is to make disciples. Among everything else we are to be obedient to, the thing that He challenged us with at His departure from this planet as he went to be seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father, he told us to make disciples, to replicate ourselves in the lives of others. You know, most of the New Testament isn't necessarily theological. Uh, uh, theological, most of it is just practical. This is what this is who we were. This is what Christ has done. Therefore, this is how it looks to live it out. Uh, And so we're not left to decide many of those things on our own. There is a really, for the most part, a very clear line of expectation that God calls us to live in. And so today we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians, starting in chapter 5, verse 14, in fact. Uh, But we're going to look at, as we end the year, and as we maybe make some commitments, I'm not much on resolutions uh, but as we make commitment, and the only reason—listen—if I were—if I were good at them, I probably would be would do them, <laughs> right? I mean, true. Uh, so I think about re- resolutions, and and you know, uh, perhaps you're not like me in that I've—I don't even know if I want to say this out loud or not—but I've already decided what foods I'm going to cut out for the new year. This is this has been a very ballooning year for me, if you know what I mean. Uh, and uh, so, <clears throat> guess, guess when I intend to start cutting those out? Tomorrow, yeah. You know, uh, science says that the best time to start a diet is, is tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow is a great day to always get started. Uh, and uh, was it Char- uh, Scarlett O'Hara who said, after all, tomorrow is another day. And, uh, and so, tomorrow, I'll reevaluate uh, my start date and see what happens but, uh, you know, we like clean starts, and the 1st of January is a good time to say, you know what, this is when I'm going to start disciplining myself. You know, and, I, and again, I'm not laying this guilt on you, but you start thinking about, you know what, tomorrow, or maybe the 2nd, because tomorrow's still kind of a holiday. But I'm going to start reading my Bible more faithfully. You know, uh, I'm not going to ask your hands. But most people would say, here's what I'm going to start doing, getting up earlier, spending more time in the Bible. I'm going, to, I'm going to pray differently. I'm going to be more intentional about this, that, or the other. And the best time to do any of those things are tomorrow. And I'll tell you, when we, when we can plan for tomorrow, it is a lot easier to give yourself the benefit of the doubt today. Let me explain. We've spent the week in Kentucky. It was great. My mom knows all my favorite things. And and my mom makes you've never had, you've never had them like this because I don't know when the angels deliver them to her, but she gets peanut butter balls <clears throat> that she makes and they are they are really good and uh, I mean just tens of them <laughs> I don't mean I mean like tens of them and tens of them uh, in Kentucky you say that word the same way uh, those words the same way ten ten get it so. Uh, in 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 i love i also love uh, uh red velvet cake i mean really there's only two kinds of pies that i like uh hot and cold <laughs> and <clears throat> and and cake cake i like uh, fresh cake and i like old cake uh i'm not particular and my mom knows my favorites and 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 so you know, I sit there and I get a dessert and I go and I look at all the desserts and I'll say, okay. Uh, and by the end of the week, it's like, it's not a half a piece of this peanut butter pie and a half a piece of this red velvet cake. Cause I already had five peanut butter balls with my breakfast coffee and, and, you know, and, and all of these things. But you know what I'm thinking, you know what, but next week, next week, am I right? Next week, I will not do this anymore. And so what do you do? You give yourself the benefit of the doubt. You don't give yourself any guilt. You really don't think much about it because next week, cutting it out. Until next week comes, next week's my birthday. I'm not starting until, I mean, next Sunday, actually, I think is, no, next Saturday is is my birthday. No, next Sunday is my birthday. I don't know. When you get this age, it doesn't matter. You just want to keep having them. Uh, but... Uh, so maybe I'll start after that. I, I'm not really. Well, then you got the wild game dinner. And uh, so maybe, so sh- you see what happens? Pretty quick, things get out of control. And you just keep adding, 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 and you end up, you know, and you're like, wait a minute, how in the world did I get here? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, <clears throat> okay, I know, I'm meddling now. So, but we have intention of doing better in the future, and because of that intention, we allow the day's discipline to go unnoticed. And while that might be true of food, and it's really easy for me to pick on food because all that true—by the way, true story—all that's true story. uh, It's also true spiritually in our life as well. You know, as long as we intend to read our Bible more, we don't—we can neglect it a little more today. As long as we intend to pray better or learn better or, or learn more or grow more or get to this place in our spiritual life, then we will. Once I know more, then I'll share my faith. And there's always these contingencies built into our lack of discipline that lets us off the hook. And before long, you're 10, 20, 30 years into your faith and your prayer life is stagnant and your Bible uh, knowledge is illiterate and your sharing of your faith faith is absent and you're sitting there thinking this is boring I've got no direction God's not listening anymore and, and then your attendance to your connection with one another begins to wane and we just we kind of give up and we don't realize how cold we've actually gotten in our faith and we probably think we're still pretty on fire but the truth of the matter is the fire's been out for a really long time So, it feels better to have hope than to start doing the work of discipline. But I'm telling you, for, and again, I'm saying this to those who haven't been here very long, but especially to those who have been here for a long time, I want to challenge us this year. It, it's time to get to work. In fact, it's, it's, we're, probably not, we're probably not too early. Uh, we're probably late already. Uh, I'm not a prophet, and I'm not prophesying, but I am going to tell you that there's going to come a time in your life when you wish you had. There will come a time in your life when you wish you had developed a better prayer life, developed developed a better uh, uh, library of Bible verses to your heart. There will be a time when you wish that you had wisdom that you do not possess There will be time that you wish that you had faith that can only be developed day by day. day. We love to read books because you can get to the end of the book and say, here's what I've learned. But when you think about your life that way, these things are developed day after day after day. And quite honestly, the Western culture don't really have time for that. I want it now. I want it now. And if you can't get it now, go to a conference, go to a Sunday morning, get some advice, get some uh, self-help, go away, be... doing that work daily is just not that popular so I want us to be challenged because a day is coming not only in your life guaranteed and I, I don't really want to say this because I don't, I don't want it to come back but there's going to come a time very soon in our country where you, you will wish that your faith had a little more substance to it it's going to be tested your faith's going to be tested And if your faith's not tested, your children's faith will be tested. And the question is not, what can we do to prevent it? The question is, what can we do to prepare for it? Because it is already coming. We will not prevent it. We've we've got the book. We know how it's going to end. We will not prevent it. But God's people can always be fortified through it. So depending on when it comes, really that doesn't matter. It's immaterial as to when it comes. But that it is coming should provoke us to be on our knees, word open, hearts open, making disciples. Because I can tell you that when you make a disciple, when you devote yourself to disciple making, you will grow in ways that nothing else can cause you to grow in. If you're not making disciples, you can spend all the time in the Word, you can spend all your time in prayer, and it pretty much is theory. It's theory until it's practiced. How is the Word of God practiced? How is it applied by making disciples? And that's where the growth of the disciple maker comes into play. So I say all of that, and and this is a pretty simple message, but... And, and then, uh, in fact, at the end, I'm going to challenge you to say yes. I'm just going to go ahead and let you know. I'm going to challenge you to say yes to something. And, uh, and I hope that you, will be, that you will be ready for that. Because I think that in a lot of ways, we have, we've become guilty of, uh, I don't want to say watering down the gospel, but in some ways we have magnified God's role, like, like get saved, and check a box. And like we have no responsibility to that. And I believe that the Bible teaches that we do have a responsibility to that. I believe that obedience. I believe that commitment. I believe that. So you can move from. And again I don't, I don't want this to sound hateful or harsh. But you can move from affirming God's existence. Like having some admittance that God exists and that you recognize Him as the God of creation, but moving beyond that to a place of surrendering to Him. You know, there is a significant difference between seeing that God is our Savior and making Him the Lord of your life. There is significant difference. See, calling Him your Savior is a decision that you make. Making Him the Lord is daily decision-making. And that's where the discipline takes place, is surrendering to His Lordship, not just surrendering to Jesus on the cross. Well, let's begin reading in verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul wraps this letter up to the church, and he says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone." Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of of our Lord Jesus Christ, I want us to look uh, some some in, inward things and some outward things. Focusing first on on some of these outward things, look at worship first. Uh, worship being not songs that we sing at the beginning of our of our uh, time together of a worship service, but uh, hearts that are lifted up. Right. So let's let's face it, and I want us just to be real real honest, but our personal participation in worship is is less than it ought to be i mean if you think about if you think that your worship before the very throne of god is could be different than it is in this room why would it be any different when we declare that he's in the room Is there any way that a born-again believer or follower of Jesus Christ would worship the God of all creation, the Savior and the lover of our souls, the creator of all things, sitting on our hands? I think that If I were going to, and again, I'm taking my own medicine today too, okay? So just know that. Uh, But I think that if I were invited to engage with a very important person, I would prepare for that encounter. I wouldn't bumble through the doors late. I I wouldn't be disrespectful. I wouldn't be negligent. I'd be very attentive because this is a very, very important moment. But I don't think that we give very much thought into coming into, we talk about coming into the throne room in corporate worship, but I don't think we give very much thought as to what that actually means and what it entails. And what I'm saying, is, I'm not talking about the exact way we walk through the doors. I'm talking about, Coming in here and and what we do together is an overflow of what our life looks like. It's almost like we want to come in here to get warmed up, but the truth of the matter is we come in here to warm up one another because we come in ready. We came in prepared. I don't think the fault lies with the Lord's presence or with the means and the opportunity, but with those who are involved and not involved. The word says, Psalm 22 says, that the Lord inhabits the praise of His people. Uh, so where He is praised, where He is praised, He is present. Now, does that mean that if somebody in this room praises the Lord that we all feel it? No, it doesn't work that way. It's wherever he is praised, that's where he is present. The one who praises will feel his presence. The one who does not will say, I don't feel anything. Does it speak to me? It would be a rare thing, I think, for someone to praise the Lord and not benefit by his presence. Did you, did you know that corporate worship flows out of private worship? They're not separate things. It's like what we do together, each one is bringing theirs to the table. That, that, that's what would really bless everyone's together. And so he begins in verse 16 here when he says, There would be praise. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. That's what that means. It literally means that we should always have praise in our hearts to God. There was a time when the people of God were filled with His glory and they were not ashamed to express it visibly, vocally, not just at church, but out in the marketplaces, out in the workplaces to be able to to be able to talk about the goodness of God, to engage one another, talking about the goodness of God. But It seems we're very timid when it comes to openly praising the Lord. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Wouldn't that be a great decision to make that beginning today I'm going to have the praise of God on my lips. But I'll tell you, you will not, you cannot have the praise of God on your lips if you do not have the praise of God in your hearts. And you cannot muster the praise of God in your hearts if it's not there continually. When you praise the Lord continually, what does it mean to praise the Lord? I'll leave that to you. Because that might be very, very individualistic. Surely you know how to praise the Lord. You know how to give God first place in your life. You, You know how to magnify Him in your soul. You know how to lift up the name of the Lord and to make much of Him in your daily life. And I will tell you that when you need that on your lips, if the reservoir is your heart, it will always be on your lips when you can give it. Psalm fifty twenty three says, Whoever offers praise glorifies me. And to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. So praise is sacrificial. Let me stop by saying that. Start by saying that maybe, in fact, that we often think of praise being some emotional moment where we are stimulated emotionally enough to respond in some way. But that is not the definition of praise. Praise is not an eruption of emotion. Praise is an intentional choice that we make. If you think those of us who who might raise our hands in worship, that is a choice that I make. That's not a involuntary reaction and i'm not saying everybody should do that because everybody worships and praises the lord differently but i'm saying that when we we think about being overcome then we begin to praise the lord but the truth of the matter is praising the lord is a conscious intentional choice that we make in our daily life living in that place requires discipline not emotion now you can be emotional too But living in a place of praise requires discipline, daily discipline and intentionality. It also requires holiness, according to the psalmist. Prayer changes people. We say that all the time. Prayer changes people. So does praise. Praise changes people. That's why God demands it. So we must commit to setting aside time every day devoted to praising Him. What does that mean? I'm not sure. What it means is much less important than the commitment to it. So we have to make the commitment, and then we learn what it looks like to praise Him. What difference does it make what it looks like if you can't make the commitment to it? He says in verse 17, pray without ceasing. So there should be praise. There should also be prayer. God isn't saying that we should all the time be walking around talking to ourselves. But he is saying that there should be an attitude of prayer. Uh, It's interesting to me the without ceasing, everybody's like, what does that mean without ceasing? I want to use this as an illustration because the the word picture of this word is like to have an intermittent cough. We just come through, you know, COVID and, you know, long COVID and all those things where people just can't hardly get over the... (coughs) The cough, it's like it, it just comes up spontaneously, right? You know what I mean? <clears throat> you just got like a tickle in the back of your throat and, you <clears> throat, and it's just, it's always there. Yeah, now everybody's like, I think everybody's sick in here. Well, maybe they are, I don't think so. But that's what without ceasing means. It just means always to be aware that it could just kind of be ready at, at all times. That's what the word actually means without ceasing. The cough is always a possibility, prayer is that little tingle in the back of the heart constant awareness of God's presence it's it's being aware wouldn't it be wonderful to be aware that everywhere we go Jesus's presence we're aware of his presence that everywhere we go we're aware of his presence that's praying continually but by the way that that is very true when you sit down at your computer when you turn the remote when you have the remote in your hand when you're talking with an unbeliever, or some, whoever it may be, that's true in all places of your life. And I'll tell you, there are some decisions that you may think again intentionally if you have a an acute awareness of Jesus's presence with you. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. <clears throat> now, I'm. <clears throat> He also said in verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. So I want you to notice this, this like holistic view, to, to rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, give thanks for all things. It's like this huge inclusive discipline at all times. There should be continued thanksgiving, hearts full of praise, hearts full of prayer, hearts full of thanks. You, you can't be in Christ and not desire to be full of adoration. This, this constant awareness. And I'm telling you, if you are always in praise, you will always be aware of His presence. When you are always aware of His presence, you will always be grateful. That's the thing that the children of Israel failed on. They, they, they would forget about His presence and they were grumbling, complaining. We'll just leave it there. I won't use another word. But they were so insensitive. So insensitive to the presence of God. You know, thankfulness is the opposite of complaining. When you focus on God and you trust Him, it leads to a deeper relationship. Your heart begins to be full of praise and, and Thanksgiving actually becomes very natural a, a natural byproduct product for Christlikeness. likeness. You begin to take negativ- negativity uh, you know, captive. Your, every thought becomes captive. Yeah, I think of I think of a of a good illustration of that of being the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter sixteen, when Peter or when Paul and Silas are in there and they're singing hymns and they're giving praise to God and the place is shaken and you know the the, the jail springs open and all of the inmates are free to run away and the and the jailer comes and, and what, what is occurring here? Is is Paul and Silas Cognizant or aware of God's presence in that moment? You betcha. Is the Philippian jailer aware of God's presence in that moment? No. He's ready to kill himself. He's not aware of God's presence. It's because the one who praises is aware of God's presence. The one who does not is not. And they're in the same vicinity. The same space. Two different mindsets. Two different levels of one is ready to take his life, and the other one is saying, "Well, we didn't run away." What do you mean you didn't run away? What is wrong with you people? Verse nineteen: Do not quench the Spirit. So there should be obedience to the Spirit of God. To quench means to extinguish or to stifle. And you know, we think about quenching the Spirit like, "Whoa, that seems like a very heavy thing," and it is. But the truth of the matter is is the Holy Spirit is always speaking to the heart of those that are devoted to Him. And and to extinguish the voice of the Holy Spirit, it was when the Holy Spirit leads this way, and we choose not to. Not just when you act rebelliously, but when the Holy Spirit speaks and you neglect it. You may not even have heard it, but if He spoke and you didn't respond, it's quenching the Spirit. It's a dangerous thing. To have the ability to supernaturally know what God wants in a moment. To choose to use you to accomplish what He wants in a moment. And to intentionally or unintentionally quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Our duty is to obey Him and to sensitively be able to know what He is. Is saying, when that brings us to verse 20, do not despise prophecies. This just simply means not like if somebody is prophesying something to you, not to say, I don't think that that's true. What this is saying is there should be obedience to the word of God. The word despise means to make of no account. So this idea of do not despise prophecies would say, mean that the truths of the word of God, we'd better take them seriously. We usually put these in compartments of the whew, terrible, terrible things over here. Oh, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Oh, don't despise prophecies. But the truth of the matter is, when we're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit or we neglect obedience to the Word of God, we've done both of those things. I think we're very guilty of this today. I think we focus a lot on hearing the message. We don't focus a lot on applying the message. Obedience to the message. We, we treat the Word of God like it's a buffet. We sit down and we close our eyes and we point and we open our eyes and say, here's what, you know, and, and God help us when we can go to the Word and say, well, here's what it means to me. You can't, what do you mean what it means to you? That's like there's a lot of homework before you can get to the, here's what it means to me stage of Bible interpretation. So what's God trying to say? That's the thing we should be wrestling with. What is God trying to say? What is His Holy Spirit teaching them, and why? So that I can learn to live by principle and not by hunting and pecking. Well, let's go back. So I say this a minute ago, but God's word is not a buffet where we can just really enjoy the best parts. You know the red velvet cake and the peanut butter balls and the, oh god loves me so much i am so awesome i can do all things through christ who gives me strength i know the plans i think i mean we talk ourselves up with these bible verses but context 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 why has god preserved these for me let me give you two illustrations there's one illustration in a guy when when god says You know, I'm about to show you things that you would never believe. We say, wow, God is going to reveal some really awesome things. Would you believe that the things he's about to show them is absolute devastation? It's going to be so bad for you, you can't comprehend it. But we claim that as this wonderful promise. And I know the things that I think towards you, and for those of you who are graduates and claim that is your verse, that's a great verse, but it's not yours. It's Israel's, and they're in captivity, in slavery, when God says this to them. It's a good verse. But we have to be careful claiming every promise as our promise, because some promises are, it won't always be this bad. I've got a plan for you, but right now, You've you got some lessons to learn, but there will be a time of life if you will turn your life around. So why did he write it to them? To warn them, to give them a heads up, to give them a chance to repent. And what happens? They do, and he does. That's the lesson for us. Things might be hard for you. But there are lessons that can be learned and there are ways to glorify God even when you're in bondage, even when you're in slavery, even when things are dark and there doesn't seem to be any freedom. But if you will learn those lessons and if you will give God glory in those dark moments, there is a life ahead for you. And that may be eternal life. Anyway, God's Word's not a buffet where we just pick and choose the parts we want. We need to be obedient to all of it. Do not despise prophecies. Obey the word of God. Let's go back to verse fourteen. <clears throat> We're going to go back through this really, really quick one more time. Um, all of those are like inward things that we should work on, but there's external things that we should work on as well. And he begins in verse fourteen. He says, "We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all." Again, notice this holistic approach. There is a responsibility that comes with knowing Jesus. And one of those is a responsibility to one another. And here Paul says that there is a caring responsibility and a compassion toward all men. Not every Christian is mature as another. And I know that in a church sometimes it's really frustrating when when all the ministries can't look the same. But the truth of the matter is our church, we are not all in the same place spiritually, in spiritual maturity. We're not all in the same place. In fact, there are some who think they're here, may not be, and some who think they're here, who might not be. But we're not all in the same place. And there's and, and, and so what the beauty of the body of Christ is, is that God establishes us into the lives of one another so that we become this one body working together. But if we come to church... And I want you to hear my heart on this because it's really a big deal to me, and I, but I don't want to sound angry about it. But when we come to church and participate at church in our little group or as individuals, you'll miss out on the whole purpose. You, you, you can't, if you come to church as an individual, you cannot help but to make it consumeristic. Or if everybody in your peer group is just like you or in the same place as you, you cannot, you cannot help but make it consumeristic. It just becomes echo chambers. So here, what Paul is saying to these folks is that there are many people in the body that might be struggling. You need these people in your life. They need you in theirs. So how do you respond to them? You admonish the idle. The King James says, "...warn the unruly." I don't like that near as much just because it's true. Uh, warn the unruly. But it means those who are out of rank. Those who, and I don't mean like they're trying to be something that they're not supposed to be. What it means is like when the, when the soldiers are marching, their, their step is off. That's what it means. It's intentional. They're intentionally not keeping step with the Spirit of God or the people of God. They've always got their own thing out here going on. Always out here like not surrendering or submitting to one another. Warn the unruly. Admonish the idle. The one that is not moving forward with everybody else. That's what it means. But this is where the relationship comes in for the body of Christ. To rebuke and to be rebuked. And one of the responsibilities of a church is responsibility. But again, we live in a very modern age to where if somebody does something that you know, they, they, they know other people aren't going to like or they, or they get out of rank or they walk out of line, what will we do? Will we just go to another church where they don't know that I'm out of step? We just start all over. And again, there are reasons to leave a church. There are right reasons. There are wrong reasons. There's reasons that you should be looking for, things you should be looking for in a church. This is not that statement. But we need to be very, very careful that we don't limit our responsibility to one another and their responsibility back to us. This works mutual. To rebuke and to be rebuked. To be able to live in such a way of, nobody likes to be rebuked. But it's easier to be rebuked by somebody who you know they have your best interest at heart that they really genuinely love you, and they want what's best for you. And they're modeling what the Word of God says for you. We need each other in those ways. But surrendering to Jesus, and I want you to hear this very closely, especially those who may not know us that well, surrendering to Jesus requires a submission to one another. It's the same thing. It's not an additional level of our salvation. When you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to His bride. God calls us to live in that faith community without pride and without arrogance so that when we see a brother or sister walking out of formation, we're to love them and to do our best to warn them. And there's a lot of verses that say that, but Romans 15, 1, the New Century Version Says we who are strong in faith should help the weak with their weakness, but not to please ourselves. Isn't that beautiful? To help the weak with their weakness, but not, not only for ourselves. Galatians six two, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. He also said, uh, encourage the faint-hearted. Uh, again, I prefer the ESV over the King James because the King James says comfort, comfort the feeble-minded. Uh, and that, does, that sometimes fits really well, but this isn't referring to someone with uh, a mental issue. Uh, it refers to those who are moving toward weakness in the faith, the, the feeble-minded who are listening to the voices in their own head rather than to the Word of God or the people of God. And, and, and as folks that are, are, are probably already idle and they're drifting further and further away from the truth, constant quitters in the family of God, it seems that everything that comes along causes them to fall by the wayside, always looking on the downside of life. And as a result, they're easily influenced and, and they're not far away from giving up. And our duty is to encourage these folks to be strong in the Lord. And we can do that by modeling it, but also by re- relating. And, and I think one of the most important things to say in this mutual ministry that I'm talking about today is that we relate to people, not to people, which happens all the time. We relate to people, but we are to relate with people. I hope that you see the difference. To people is a place of superiority, with people is a place of mutuality. Two people is, let me show you, or you better. with people is, "I love you, let's do this together. We've got to learn how to relate with each other. So while unruly is intentional, faint-hearted is unintentional. Some people intentionally are difficult. Some people are unintentionally difficult. But, Paul says, support or help the weak. Speaking of those that allow the least little thing to make them mad or cause them to quit. <clears throat> and that happens a lot too. And we deal with this type of person where we want, we want to be quick to encourage them and point them back to the right pathway. And sometimes it's, it's easy to focus, focus on people instead of Jesus <clears throat> it's easy to get tired and fatigued sometimes it's easy to focus on programs instead of the purpose of programs which is the glory of God and sometimes it's easy to focus on problems instead of our role in the family of God but we can never take our eyes off and, and so for those of you who have not heard this before the, like the ministry of our church and as individuals our, our, our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus and to be able to, to show people where Jesus is in any given moment, to be able to relate to them in such a way that they, that, they, that they can hear Jesus better, they can see Jesus better, Jesus is modeled for them better. In any room that you go in, it might be your living room or your kitchen in your home, or it might be the workplace, or it might be at Walmart, or it might be any number of other, other places, but it certainly is here to help people find and follow Jesus. And the best way to do that is through relationship. It's the relationship. Our job is to be strengthened and to help strengthen faith in others. But, you know, again, these aren't relegated to a building. They weren't meeting in a building. These are true in every relationship that they have to strengthen the faith in others. So Paul is telling them not to let anybody fall away. The church's responsibility is to make sure that no one slips away. So let me challenge you. Most of you, some of you are tricksters, but most of you sit in the same place every week. Some of you don't want me to know when you're not here, and so I have a hard time wondering where they're sitting today. But since you want to sit in the same places every day, will you just kind of take an inventory of those that are sitting around you? Just kind of, just kind of see who's here, who's not here. Get to know names, maybe swap numbers go out to lunch together, get names. And when they're not here a week or two, just tell them you miss them and you love them. Don't tell them that if you don't. But shouldn't we miss each other? Shouldn't we take personal responsibility for our church and not just leave that to a program? Shouldn't we all be greeters and ushers? After all, wasn't it Jesus himself who said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Isn't that the greatest apologetic that the church has to testify of who Jesus is, is how we love one another. And when the world comes in here, or when we go out into the world, they should be able to look into our lives and into our eyes when we how we relate to one another and say, "There's something different about that community," and I want it. I'm gonna I'm gonna hurry. <clears throat> See that no one pays anyone evil for evil. That just listen. I'm gonna cut through some of this. Um, don't repay evil for evil. Do you know what Paul is really saying here? that evil is going to happen. And when it does, don't respond with evil. Because that's what you're going to be tempted to do. If somebody says something about you, your temptation is going to be to say something about them. When somebody does something to you, you're going to be tempted to do something to them. And people are going to say things about you and people are going to do things to you and they're going to hurt your feelings. That's what relationships look like. Now, am I saying that, yes, yay, we get to hurt each other's feelings? No, I am not. I am saying that we should not do that, but I am not arrogant enough to think that I've not hurt some of you. But not intentionally. I wouldn't do that. I don't want to do that. It's possible that you have hurt someone and not know it. If you can overlook it, overlook it. If you can't overlook it, then you need to have a conversation. But don't repay evil for evil. Don't get even. But things are going to happen. That's what happens when you're in community. However, you can go to church And never talk to people. You can slip in late. You can leave early. You can never go to a class. Never go to a dinner. Never show up in a small group. When people talk about it, you can come up with a thousand different reasons why that does not fit you. And you can avoid being hurt. But you will also avoid making disciples in the way that God commanded us to do it. You'll avoid a whole lot of obedience on your way to not being hurt. And you will be hurt exponentially as a result. Paul is saying here that there should be we should be known by our love, but also our forgiveness. There are so many things here. I'm just going to give you one more. <clears throat> but he said, verse twenty one: "Test everything, and hold fast what is good." Well, you may not be like me. You know what it means for a cow to chew its cud? It's kind of gross. Uh, but, you know, they eat and then they swallow it and, and then they chew it some more and sw- swallow it. And then it <clears throat> comes back up again and they just keep doing that over and over and over. And that's fine for cows. <clears throat> it's not good for us. But sometimes I do that. Uh, not, not when I'm eating food, but when I'm thinking thoughts. Thoughts. I'll think about it for a while and then I'll, you know what happens? Oop, there it comes. I just mull it, mull it, mull it, mull it. it. And it just gets grosser and grosser and grosser. And I embellish it and I extend it and I figure it all out and I assume all the things and I have conversations in my head and then I swallow it. Then I bring it back up again. But you know what Paul says? I think probably all of us are potentially guilty of some of that overanalyzing everything. And you know what it does? It will always keep you away from people. Either you're trying to protect yourself or you're trying to protect them. It doesn't really matter. But you keep yourself away from people. But here's what he says. He says, test it. Test it all by the word of God. See what's good. Test it by the word of God. If it's of the word of God, cling to what is good. Let the rest of it go. It'll be a whole lot easier to do that if you're constantly aware of the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. And you'll be able to do that if you're constantly in prayer and always at praise. To, to, to be able to, listen, I'll tell you, I'm a people pleaser. I'm not, I'm not a strong person. Uh, and, and your opinion of me matters a lot. And so when I do things or I say things, it really heaps on me. And I'm like, oh, if I should have said this, or what did they mean when they said that? but I have learned something. And don't beat me up on that either because now I'm like, oh, now why did I say that? But here, here's, here is why I say it. I want to be honest with you, but here's why I say that. When I'm satisfied with my identity in Christ, that doesn't matter near as much. When I put my head on a pillow and know that I've lived for His glory instead of yours, that don't matter near as much. That's what Paul was saying to the church here. Live for His glory and cling to what is good. Let the rest of it go. But don't let it keep you away from one another. Love one another. Care for one another. And there's going to be some of you that are idle and some of you that are feeble-minded and some of you that are weak and some of you that, are, that require patience. And that's okay. Because every one of those areas helped me to become a better disciple maker. And you know what else I've learned? I need you to be patient with me too that what that's what makes us the family of god